You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjax.com. So we're in the middle of a series on sex and boundaries and relationships. I was like, woohoo, where have I been? I missed the... Yeah, the last two talks, I'll just tell you, you need to go listen to the last three talks. I blogged about them this week. I, I gave you some of the references and some of the resources that I've been reading about sexuality and boundaries and the boundaries that God has created us for, and that these boundaries or rules don't take life away. They give us life. They're not made to make life boring. They're made to give us life to the full. And that the way that we find life to the full is in yielding to God's law, in yielding to God's plan for us. And it comes down to this one question, it's this, do I believe that I'm better at leading my life and knowing what I need, or do I believe the creator of the universe who made me knows better and how my life should be lived? And, and when we call him Lord, it means that he is Lord of all of our life. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that today and what that looks like. Um, but last week we talked about same-sex attraction. The week before we kind of laid out the foundations of boundaries. And David talked about lordship the first week and yielding. And so all those talks are available on the internet at our church website. And um, again, would encourage you because there's so much to cover. I mean, I just can't cover it all in three or four weeks. And so, um, and this is a big deal in our culture right now. This is a big, big deal in our society right now. And as Christians, we need to be prepared. We sh- I mean, First Peter talks about always be prepared to give a hope, give an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. In every area of our life, we have an opportunity to give hope to people who are hopeless. We have an opportunity to speak life where people are dying. We have an opportunity to bring the truth in love in a way that brings freedom. And that's our desire. That's our desire as a church, and um, that's our desire as a person in Christ. And so... Um, yeah, so that's kind of been the journey we're on. Today I want to talk about what do we do with, with unfulfilled desires? Uh, what do we do whenever I feel like I'm going to explode and i got needs? i got needs, you know, and I just feel like I can't get my needs met when it comes to this area of my life or whatever. Like, what do we do with that? That's a very real issue, I think. And um, unfortunately, we often meet those needs in ways that are outside of God's boundary, and that leads to death, that leads to destruction, and that misrepresents Christ to the world. It misrepresents life to the wor- world. So I'm going to talk about that today. This, this uh, week in the office, you can imagine the conversations we're having in the office as we kind of go through this together. David Gate comes running, and he's like, dude, I'm not heterosexual. And I'm like, excuse me? He's like, I'm not a heterosexual. I'm not homosexual. I'm like, this is going to be interesting. And with Dave, you just never know what you're going to get, right? Because he's always thinking. There's a lot, lots up there in his little melon. Anyway, and, uh, and he, goes, he goes, I'm monosexual. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, he goes God's plan isn't that we're, he goes, he goes, it's not that we're heterosexual or homosexual. He goes, we're monosexual. He goes, I am Emily sexual. He goes, I've been designed only for Emily sex. That's it. And I thought, and I thought, well, I mean, not me, Antley. I'm not designed for Emily's sexual. I'm designed for Laura sexual, right? I'm Laura sexual. And, 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 and he's right. And what he said, he, he said, he said, he goes, God's plan is that we're all hetero, we're all homosexual. He goes, he goes, we are designed to have sex for one, you know, with one person only forever. That's what our design is. And we talked about that last week, and we talked about that anything, adultery, is anything outside of that. 
Anything outside of the covenant of marriage, as God's described in Genesis between a man and a woman, as adultery, or, I mean, there's a lot of Greek words, but basically it's not God's plan. It's outside of his boundaries. And we talked about that, but that's really true. I mean, what David's saying is really true. It's like we are built, we are designed by God to have sex with one person forever and them only. That's what we're designed for and that's what we're built for. Because it says that when we leave and we become one with someone, we become one flesh. And something new is created. And you can't just, it says, and what God's joined together, let no one separate. So we can't just decide to break something that God has formed. Spiritually speaking. But I imagine that that's a tall order. As we seek to love and serve Jesus Christ, that that's a tall order. One person forever. That's what we're built for. That's God's plan. But that is what the Bible teaches us. That's the boundary that he sets in place. But it's hard to yield to that boundary, isn't it? Especially in a culture that is saying the opposite, that has diminished the power of sex, that has diminished, you know, and all, you know, I mean, I'm not going to go into all that the culture says and does and pornography and all the money that we're spending on it and those kinds of things. But it makes it especially difficult to yield to this if you're a teenage boy or a teenage girl with the temptations and the opportunities and the testosterone and the estrogen and, the, and, and all that's flowing through your body when you're in this age of becoming a young man or a young woman, it makes it hard, especially hard to yield to this whenever I say it. It also makes it especially hard if you're a single person with same-sex attraction or heterosexual attraction and you haven't found the person that you, and you want to be married to and you can't be married because you haven't found the right person, this becomes a hard boundary to yield to, to trust God with. And if you have same-sex attraction, not only, is it, not only is it difficult as a single person, but there's a hopelessness along with the loneliness that I will never be loved and give love like I've been created for by God, that man's not made to be alone. Very hard to yield to. And we talked about the church relationship being responsive that last week. But if you're in a marriage and you're unhappy, where there's no intimacy, the love is dried up, there's no sex going on, there's a disconnect there, it's hard to yield to this command. Even though we know that it's God's, it's hard to yield to it. Or if you're divorced or you're widowed and you're at the end of your life and you look back with regret and sadness on who you did marry or what happened in the marriage. All of these circumstances, and I could go on and on, make it hard to yield to that. So what do we do with these sexual desires that we have? And they lead to frustration. They lead to anger. They lead to temptation and struggles, sadness, longings. What do we do? As people who are desiring to find life in Christ, as people who are desiring to make Jesus the Lord of our life, as people who are desiring to yield to every area of our life, what do we do with these very real temptations and these very real struggles? It's, it's ve- I'll tell you this, it's very simple, but it's also very hard. And David said that in the first talk. Making Jesus the Lord, allowing Jesus to be the Lord of our life, it's a simple process, but it's very hard. And I was praying about this last night, and I said, Lord, what do we, what do, we do, Lord? Like, what do we do? And I didn't want to just throw out a bunch of spiritual kind of like, just go to Jesus. You know, just like, 
I mean, that's one of my points. So, I mean, I just, you know, kind of undermine myself. But, but I was just praying, you know, praying about it. Like, what's some real hope I can give young people or divorced people or single people today? I felt like there's three things the Lord kind of said to me last night. He said, talk to your friends, talk to Jesus, and worship the creator. And there's a fourth thing that I want to end up, that I want to end with. But I started praying about and speaking about these things with the Lord, and, and he led me to this. When we talk to our friends, we find community with them, okay? That's what we're talking about. And this is important when it comes to sexual sin. It's especially important when it comes to sexual sin because shame and guilt is associated with sexual sin. And what shame and guilt cause us to do is hide, to remove and to, be, to not be known, to keep things out of the light and in the darkness. And when we keep things in the darkness, they have power over us. We read this in Genesis 2.25, my favorite Bible verse. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. All right, that's my favorite Bible verse. I said it last week. I'll say it again. It's the way things are created to be, right? Before sin, there was no shame. But then we read in Genesis 3, 6, and 7. This is when sin entered the world. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took it of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then the next verse, it's not up there, it says this. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among trees, among the trees of the garden. After sin comes into the world, what do we do? We hide ourselves from each other and we hide ourselves from God. And guess what happens? The enemy has power then over that area of our life. And if we want to have freedom, we need to bring those broken parts of our heart into the light. It's why community, it's why friendship, it's why city groups, it's why relationships with other believers are so important. If we don't want sexual sin to define us, we need to bring it into the light because that's not who we are anymore. Our brokenness does no, no longer define us. But we need to tell that. We need to get that out into the light to take the power away from the enemy. So the first thing we do if we struggle with sexual sin is that we love each other. We love each other in community. Jesus says this in 1334, John 1334, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I've loved you, you're also to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we want sexual sin, if we fall into sexual sin and we struggle, or there are parts of our heart or our life, any part of our heart or our life that is in the darkness, we bring it into the light so that it no longer defines us. We're no longer afraid of it. We no longer allow it to be something the enemy has power over a sin. We no longer hide from it, right? But, the way, but that's not enough. Just sharing it is not enough. We have to share it with someone who's gonna love us. And the way that Jesus loved us, this is the new command to you. And so Jesus gives us this power to love one another. He sends us the Holy Spirit so that we can love one another in a way that we've never been able to love one another before, the way that Jesus requires us to, the way that Jesus loved us in a sacrificial love where we move into someone's life. We move towards somebody in their brokenness. We see someone's sin, we see someone's brokenness, we see someone's shame and their guilt. We don't judge and condemn. We have the power because of the Holy Spirit that lives within us to move beyond that 
to see that that is not their identity, that they are new in Christ. They're a new creation. It allows us to move beyond what their sin is into their life and to love them in a way that they've never that the world won't love them. The world sees this and they go, man, look at how the church responds to brokenness and sin in each other's lives. I want some of that. That's beautiful to me. That glorifies God. Why would they do that? That doesn't make any sense. They're living sacrificially for one another. Why would they do that? They're not judging. They're not condemning. They're not mad like the rest of the world. They're loving unlike the rest of the world. Why would they do that? And they get pointed to Jesus. Well, only, only because of Jesus. It's only because Jesus has done that for us that we are able to then do that for others. Laying down our life for each other is obeying Jesus' command so that the world can see where life is found and trusting God's boundaries for life. That is what love is. Tolerance is not love if it allows sin to exist and people to walk in death and destruction. That's not love. Love moves towards brokenness, towards destruction, with a desire for life in the light of the world to come and bring transformation and change. And only we can do that. The world cannot do this because only Christians who have been filled with the power of the Spirit have been given the vehicle to love beyond what people's behavior is, to love sacrificially. Does that make sense? The other thing that happens is this, and this is what's cray-cray about the whole thing a little bit, about this first point, is we become what's called a wounded healer a wounded healer. We become someone that God uses the very wound that we have to become the the thing that brings healing to other people. It's crazy how this happens. And so like, I would love to be known as like the prophetic, powerful church leader and speaker or whatever, or whatever, but I'm not. And whenever I was on Young Life staff, one of the things that I was known for, it was not that I had a big Young Life club in the state or that I was doing amazing ministry, even though I was, I thought at the time, you know. Um, but uh, I struggled with, early in my, early in my uh, marriage, I struggled with pornography, right? And so, like, there's this area. I know it's like the story of every guy who speaks. It's like, well, there's this time in my life. Uh, anyway, so, um, and, and the Lord convicted me on it. I was a young staff guy in Young Life. And I, I shared it with my boss, and then I, he shared it with his boss. And then they said, well, we think you should lead a seminar on this. I'm like, what? <laughs> a seminar on pornography and masturbation. F- perfect. That's what you want to be known for in ministry. <laughs> and so I, like, shared, I do this seminar at this, like, statewide conference, and sure enough, People start calling me out of the woodwork. It be, I start doing it from that conference on for every year I was on Young Life staff. That's what I was known for. And like I would get these phone calls from people who had been married for years and years and years confessing to me. I'm like, I don't want to know these things. What do I do? And, and, and the only thing, the only power was the power of what God had healed in me that they were drawn to. They were drawn to the healing that I had received and then God then had used that to bring healing to other people. And, and again, that's what's amazing about how God works because he wants the glory. So it wasn't like, Antley's a great speaker, let's give him a call. Hey, how did you do your club talks, Antley? No, 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 it's like, well, I'm not even gonna get into the details. Okay. <laughs> so we talk to one another and we become wounded healers. We become people who love each other. Number two is that we talk to Jesus. He wants more than anything to meet our needs. He want, more than anything, he wants us to bring our heart to him. 
And we see his response to our brokenness and our failure in the story of the woman caught in adultery. In John 8, 2 to 11, it says this. Early in the morning, he came to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst of, he said to them, he, uh, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. This has nothing to do with her. The Pharisees do this. This is all about trying to trick Jesus. Jesus bent down and wrote his finger on the ground, and they continued to ask him. He stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. Now you might be thinking, Well, I've never committed adultery. This doesn't apply to me, or I'm not going to ever sin that bad. And Jesus says this in 527 to, to, to us that think that way in 28. You've heard it said, you should not commit adultery. But I have said that everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent or a man with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Let me, just, let me say this just real quick. I want to define what lust of the heart is because if you're a teenager or if you're a young man, or you're somebody that's drawn or is attracted to someone of the opposite sex, you probably live your day with so much guilt and so much shame because every, you're just like, a, like squirrel, squirrel. Like you just, you're attracted to the opposite sex, okay? And, and I, I wanted to study this a little bit because I wanted to understand like what is lust of the heart? Because if it's, man, I'm attra- I see a pretty woman, I'm attracted, that's lust of the heart, I'm doomed. I mean, that's like... Because we're, and so this is what, this is the response. I've read some stuff on Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard says this. He's a, he's a guy that's dead right now, but he's very, he's a professor. I don't know why that was funny, but I'll take the laugh. I'll take the laugh. I'll take the laugh. Um, But Dallas Willard said this. He says that we've been created by God to be attracted to the opposite sex. Okay. We've been created by God to be attracted to the opposite sex. And so if you're a teenager and you're walking down the high school, your high school corridor and you see, and you're a young boy and you see a girl and you're like, man, I like that shape, baby. Mm. You know, like, and you keep walking and you keep walking. You're like, that's normal. You were created by God to respond to high school girls that way if you're a boy. You know, if you're a girl and you're walking like, and you say, mm, oh yeah, you know, you're like, and you, and, and you catch a glimpse of a guy that you think is attractive or his personality is attractive, that's normal. That's normal. That's a reflective act that we have been created by God to have, okay? And so we are looking, so we kind of look reflexively, okay? Willis says that it's looking to desire that we get into trouble, okay? If we look and desire, look and desire, that's normal. If we look to desire, to cultivate lust, to cultivate imagery in our head of having sex, if we take it to the next place, that is adultery of the heart. So if we look and then we look, that's adultery of the heart. But to just notice or to take notice of, that's not adultery of the heart. That is how we've been created by God to live. But whenever you look again or you look to desire or to, you know, I want to cop a look or whatever, you know, or you like you position yourself, you know, with your menu, you're like, 
Just cons- oh, yeah, oh, yeah, whatever. That is adultery of the heart. When you're looking to desire, to cultivate desire. Does that make sense? Okay. And so this woman caught in adultery. We bring people to Jesus. Okay, so yeah, they model for us. When someone is broken, someone is hurting, someone falls into sin, we fall into sin. What do we do? We bring them to Jesus. We bring them to Jesus. Not in condemnation, not in judgment, not to trick Jesus. But Jesus wants us to bring people to him. Jesus wants us. And the way that we bring Jesus to people is by moving towards people and loving people. Because Jesus is in us. The kingdom of God is within us. We are the visible expression of the invisible God, Jesus Christ. We are a new creation. We are to love those who are broken. We move towards people who struggle. Okay, and what does Jesus do? Jesus loves her, protects her. There's a lot I could teach on this passage. I don't have time today, and I've taught on this passage probably more than any other passage in the Bible. But he does not condemn her. But he does call her back to live within his boundaries, doesn't he? He says, don't continue to live outside my boundaries. Sin no more. There's no life for you there. But he loves her and he protects her. And this is, a, this is, this is something we can apply to every area of our life. This pattern. When we fail, and we will, we come to Jesus. And his response is always love. His response is always forgiveness. His response is always understanding. It's always grace. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's, he is just to forgive us for all of our sins. This is the thing about sexual sin. We feel like it's worse than other sin. We feel like it marks the, our whole life. Like we have this mark on us our whole life. Like this is my, my, my identity. But that's not, that's, not what, that's not what the scripture says. You know, I was praying about this last night. Actually, I wasn't praying. I was just trying to think about what I was going to say. And, and the Lord brought this to my mind. He said, in heaven, and it was my thoughts, I thought this. One day I'm going to meet the woman who was caught in adultery. I'm going to meet this woman one day. When I'm in heaven, I'm going to meet the woman caught in adultery. And the Lord said, and this was so convicting, he says, no, no, you won't, Antley, because when you go to her, she'll say, I'm the woman who sinned no more. When I meet David in heaven, it won't be, it won't be the David who committed adultery and who committed murder. It will be the king after God's own heart I'll meet. When I'm in heaven and I meet Moses, it won't be the murderer or the guy who failed to bring them into the promised land will be the one who rescued them from the Egyptians. When you're in heaven, when you're in heaven, your sin will not be known. You'll not be known for the guy that had an affair. You'll be not, not be known for the woman or the, or, the, or the man who struggled with pornography their whole life, maybe. You will not be known for your sexual sin. You will not be known for any of your sin. You'll be known as a triumphant saint who's been glorified in Christ, the risen Savior, you will be known as someone who has been perfected by the work of Jesus Christ. And so God tells Jesus, or God tells her, the way that we allow our identity to be renewed is by stopping. 
There is, there is a mark that Jesus says that you can't get around. We have to stop sinning. We have to stop living outside of the boundaries if we want to receive the blessings that come in being forgiven. If we want to receive the blessings that come in finding life in Jesus, we need to find life in Jesus. And that requires us to repent, to turn from one way of living and start a new way of living, to turn from one behavior to start a new behavior, a new life, a new way under the boundaries that God has for us. And telling God that we're sorry or asking for forgiveness is not enough. What? It's how we walk out forgiveness that demonstrates who we truly trust. Not what we say. It's how we walk out forgiveness, how we walk out repentance that demonstrates who our Lord is. That is the demonstration of what we're truly yielding to. Talk to friends, talk to Jesus. Worship the creator, number three. When we worship the creator, my desire for the created loses its appeal or hold over me. This is not about, and we talked about this last week a little bit. All of creation, everything that God's given us, sex included, was meant to lead us to worship God. And us and our stubbornness and our ignorance and our forgetfulness, we start to worship the created things. We start to worship sex. We start to worship good food. We start to worship our children. We start to worship family. We start to worship all these things that are good that God gave us that were a means to us worshiping him. We start to worship. And, our, our heart, and what happens when we do that is our heart falls out of love with the creator. And we start wanting the creator for the created things that he can give us instead of for himself. But the solution is not to manage the behavior. Okay, yes, we're not supposed to sin anymore, but that's not the goal. The goal is to fall in love again with the created. It's like whenever David came up here and we're worshiping like that, we're like, worshiping like that is what will make us fall out of love with the world. It's what will make us fall. We won't want the things of the world when we experience the things of God. And the only things, the only reason we're addicted to or we're falling in love with the created things is because we are not falling in love every day with the creator. The heart of the problem is not our behavior. It's our heart. And when it becomes fixated on something other than the creator, then the only way, the only way to change our desire is to begin to behold something new. Brian did this great talk on this. You, know, you become what you behold. You become what you behold. If you want to become someone different, then behold something different. If you want to worship something different, then start worshiping the creator. Because there is no desire in this world that is as great or as beautiful or as magnificent and loving as the creator. And he knows that. And that's why, he, like I said last time, last week, he will allow us to wander down those paths and come to that conclusion ourselves, so that we will turn and worship him. And so worshiping the creator, well, how do we do that? Intimacy with the father. Super pillar, RCC, right? We talk about this all the time. This is why intimacy with the father is so important because when we know who the father is, what he's like, his love for us, we aren't hungry for things in the world. We're just not. And so intimacy with the Father, and, and, and any way that you can do that. I mean, if you've got to strip naked and run around the house singing like David, then do it. If that brings you close to Jesus, then do it. Worshiping corporately as a family is important. Personal worship, time in the Word, and prayer is important. 
How we live life, though, is really the truest testimony of what we worship. How we live our life is the truest testimony of what we really worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. This is what worship is, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, without sin, to God. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What, is, what are his boundaries? Where is life found? What is good and acceptable and perfect? That's our goal. That's where life is found. That's what worship is. We discern what God's boundary is. We live for that boundary. We stay within that boundary. We find life in that boundary. That is worship. And when we live like that, our life changes, our worship changes, our desire changes. We become what we behold. The fourth thing is this, and I didn't say this, but this is the biggest reason. This is, this is, this is like the trump card of how we get out of sexual sin. All of those are practical things we need to do, right? What do I do with my desires? We do those three things. We talk to people, our friends. We love each other. We bring ourselves to Jesus. We are, we, we, he reminds us who we are. He reminds us that we aren't condemned. He reminds us that we are forgiven. This is not who you are. You're a new creation. And we start worshiping the creator. And our life begins, we start to lose our desires for sexual, these, these frustrations that we have. But there's something greater. It's what movies are made of. And, and this, is, is, this is the heart of what, of, um, of, of what's so powerful and the opportunity we have as Christians to live within God's boundaries. And, it's, and, and C.S. Lewis calls it the divine accolade. And it's this. It's that um, one day we will see Jesus face to face and he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set over you much. Enter into my joy, the joy of your master. The climax of our joy in God, our joy in salvation is going to be the moment we see Jesus face to face and he commends us and he honors us and he praises us for the life that we've lived here on earth. It's the promise from Jesus. It's the promise from God's word that we will have fame. We will have glory. We will have reward in heaven for how we lived on earth. If I were to say to a single person, man, just deny yourself. You know, you're not gonna have these desires met or someone who has same-sex attraction and you look at the next 50 years of your life and you think about that every day, it seems it will feel hopeless if that's as big as your story gets. But if you believe this truth, that there is another story being told, a story of all eternity that you have been created to sing in, that you have been created to tell of someone else's story, to tell the story of Jesus Christ, to show the world of this greater story that's not about your individual desires. It's not about your individual struggles. It's not about today or tomorrow. It's about an eternity. Scripture says that our life here on earth is like a vapor. It's like a vapor. It goes like that. And while we're here, what will it count for? Will we want it to count for here and now? Or we want to delay gratification and we want the reward in heaven, glory in heaven, fame in heaven for eternity, that we would say no to the things of the world and yes to Jesus because not only does it give us life now, but it speaks of a creator that is more beautiful than we can imagine. 
And it speaks to something greater than who we are. We become a part of something that is magnificent. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it says this, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before this time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. We'll receive a commendation from God. And then 2 Corinthians 10, 18 for it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. And the best verse is this. I'm going to end with this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, struggles, and you have been tested, the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does that look like? That even though you didn't see him, you loved him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice in him with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What is more precious? Your faith is more precious. What does it look like that when you don't, even though you don't see Jesus now, even though you don't see heaven now, even though you don't experience him all the time like you want to, even though sometimes you're not healed, even though you have these struggles, even though you, ha- you fight these temptations and sometimes you fail, even though you go through these trials, there'll be a day. There'll be a day that comes where Jesus will hold you up and say, look at Antley, my beautiful creation. Look at how amazing, look at what he has done. He has denied himself and he has served me. And, and what will happen is it won't be Antley that is made beautiful. It's really the work of Christ and Antley that is made beautiful. But it looks like us denying ourselves, picking up our cross and finding life within God's boundaries. I can't tell you how frustrating it is when we read again and again the struggle of us compromising, Christians compromising again and again and again, life in the world for life in the kingdom. If we want the world to find and to know and to love Jesus, we have to live a life that is yielded to Jesus in every area of our life. We struggle with this because when we come to Jesus, we come because he'll bring us rest. He'll bring us peace. He'll bring us happiness. He'll bring us healing. He'll bring us love, right? That's why you came, isn't it? That's why I came. That's why we come. And that's what we tell people. That's who we're like, that's who we bring into the kingdom. And that's true, but it's not all true. That's half the truth. That's half the truth. Because once Jesus comes into our life, what does he do? He says, oh, Antley, I need to have that. I need to have that. And he moves into my heart. And he says, I'm not going to let you worship that. And will you give it to me? Will you trust me? Will you yield to me? And, 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 I, and sometimes it's easy for me to give it to him like that, you know? It's just easy. But man, the more I know Jesus and the longer I'm with him, the more I experience his love, the deeper he goes. The deeper he goes. The darker, the darker, the darkest place of my heart. He finds those idols. He finds the desires of my heart that are not within his boundaries. And he says, Antley, give me those. Will you trust me? Will you yield to me every area of your heart? And to the degree that I yield, I will be glorified in the end. To the degree that I yield, I demonstrate that I trust him. To the degree that I yield, he is the Lord of my life. That is the journey of a believer. 
not only the journey of healing and wholeness and love and mercy and grace, the journey of surrender, the journey of yielding. That is the journey we're on. And like I said, the very first talk, Jesus asks for everything from everyone, regardless of our sexuality. Jesus requires us to give him everything of all that we are. Let's stand.